Well, grab your Bibles. Um, we're going to uh, read from Hebrews chapter 5. And um, in fact, we will look at Hebrews 4.11 and then we'll let you be seated. Hebrews 4.11, and this is our, <clears throat> our theme verse. They'll uh, get us going here so that we can walk through our chapter on Hebrews. I want to give you a little bit of an update here, but let's see if we're, there we are. All right, Hebrews 4.11, could we, uh, could we read that together? Oh, they're telling me that I was not catching that Sister Morris is back over here. Let's give her a hand. Praise God. (laughs) Good. She has been through it, but now she's back. Praise God. Amen. And, and And she's every whit whole. So we thank God. Can we just thank the Lord for keeping his hand on us tonight and his mercy? Praise the Lord. Praise God. <clears throat> Amen. Let's, let's read, shall we, Hebrews 4.11. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Amen. God bless your word to our hearts. And everyone said amen. All right, God bless you as you're seated. Now, Sister French is very, very frustrated that uh, that she's uh, so ill tonight. She's been at the doctor's all day. They've given her a shot, and it is an infection, and she, it's the same exact thing she had when she went before. But she had double, uh, I guess, I, all I know it by is pink eye, double pink eye in both eyes. So they didn't treat the infection. They treated the pink eye. And so she got, uh, and so she's uh, hoping now that they've given her uh, antibiotics, she's going to, She's going to be better very, very quickly, but she's unable to be here tonight. Now, we have been in uh, a time of, of uh, prayer and emergency with uh, our bishop. And um, this is Wednesday, so tomorrow will be one week since they headed back from the board meetings in uh, Tupelo <clears throat> and took a fall in uh, outside of Birmingham, well, on the west side of Birmingham and were taken to uh, the hospital there, Princeton Baptist, and discovered that he's uh, got several fractures in his shoulder and that he uh, essentially broke his well, his neck or the vertebrae in his neck. And uh, and then, of course, other things that, you know, uh, cut, very severe cuts and so on. The, the most difficult uh, part was to get through the neck surgery. And Sunday morning, uh, they were to begin the surgery, and then they were concerned about, not having a full team on Sunday. And so after we arrived, they they made the very wise decision to wait until Monday. And so uh, about midday Monday, they, they did the surgery, and it was close to eight hours and very tedious. And so that was 
uh, really more the time of, uh, for me anyway, and I know Sister <clears throat> Sister Cole was very, uh, uh, I don't want to use the wrong words, but it was a very uh, a stressful time, I guess is the word. And, uh, and then uh, in the evening hours, I can't remember exactly my uh, mind is not 100%, but uh, so on Monday night, late, after dark, we got the word that everything was okay. He had gone through the surgery, and then uh, Sister and I were able, after over 48 hours, to make our way back and try to uh, uh, be here for a little bit, and we will be heading back in the morning, Brother French and I, this will be several trips for us, but we're going to go in the morning, even though, uh, and, and so he is improving. Now, that doesn't mean he's running around or doing anything, but every day is improvement. He, he is essentially recuperating from a very serious surgery now, it literally shattered that vertebrae, they had to, and so on, and, and they've repaired it, and and now he's healing from it, and he's you, you do know he's eighty five years old, and he took a great fall, and it, it was just such a relief. We just begin to there in the uh, uh, waiting room when the word came through. We just begin to talk in tongues and praise God that that everything was okay. Now here is the exciting thing. If you haven't heard this, we just got a call a few minutes ago from Sister Cole. Because the doctors in Birmingham have already said he is right on schedule and that any day now, so in other words, really soon in the next little bit, I don't, want, I don't know what that means, but day or so or a few days, they are going to bring him back to Atlanta. Now he's going to go to rehabilitation and he still has a shattered right shoulder that has to be uh, looked after and so on. But he will be here recuperating. And they're all excited and they've asked us to pray that everything will come together. And, um, uh, you know, when you love folks and, and, uh, and there's so many people from everywhere that love and know the Coles that uh, this has uh, been a very uh, difficult time in certain ways, but also miraculous time that God has brought him through it. And I believe he's going to, to make it and recuperate. But we need to be praying. Let me direct your prayers tonight. We need to be praying specifically that all of this will heal, that he will have mobility and that everything will heal properly and that he will, uh, that God will restore him physically so that whatever days that he has on this in this world, that it will be with wholeness that God has restored him. And I feel like God wants to do that. Can we just lift our hands and let's just ask God to have his way. Lord, you know the pain that he's in. You know the medicines that he's on. But, Lord, he's encouraged that you are bringing him through. And so we pray for wholeness, complete wholeness, Lord. No matter what the devil says, we are praying that everything will be all right, Lord. Not just surgery, but everything will be all right. And we give you praise for it. And we lift you up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Does anyone remember the scripture in Romans 8 that says, 
For we know that all things work together for good. All things work together for good. And I don't say that flippantly. The person that was reminding me of that scripture was Sister Cole on Monday night. And she was weeping and and she was saying to me, I, I know that there has to be a reason. Hadn't My mind hadn't even gone there yet, but... But that's what her mind was thinking. So <clears throat> we know that God has a purpose, even in life and death itself. God has, has a purpose. So whatever you are going through, whatever you've been facing, God has a purpose somehow, and God is able. Anybody know God is able? Praise God. Amen. All right, well, let me get here to the word. We are studying the book of Hebrews We're doing it in four separate quarters. We did the first three chapters last quarter, and we are now in the second quarter, which means we're looking at chapter four, five, and six. Now, the last time in chapter four, we saw that the the basic problem in the book of Hebrews and why it's called the book of Hebrews is that those that were Jewish Hebrew Christians were tempted to go back to temple worship and and to let go or drift away from their Christian faith. <clears throat> and so we saw tonight, as we read uh, chapter 4, verse 11, let us labor, therefore, to enter. Because uh, Paul is telling us that there is only one way of salvation, and that is going to continue through chapter 5. And so the way of salvation is through Jesus Christ. There's only one way that we can enter, and that is we join up with Christ. Now, there are those that think they go to heaven because Jesus just throws them into heaven. Once I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. Nobody keeping me out of heaven. I can kill anybody and do anything I want to do. I always found that a strange mentality. You can't even get a paycheck unless you work, but you're going to go to heaven no matter what you do. In other words, he's so loving, he's so kind. And I wanted to say, did, when your children spit on you, did you just smile or did you do something about it? You think God is any less concerned about his children that he would just say it makes no difference? And so what Paul is saying is that you cannot give up your faith and walk away from your faith and think that you're going to make it to heaven. Now, we're in a world that says no matter what you believe, you're going to heaven. Everybody's, everybody's going to heaven except maybe Hitler. Hitler might not make it. That's about where we are. All right. So let us labor. Everybody say labor. Everybody say labor. See, it didn't say everybody just planned to go, did it? It didn't say we're just going to make it no matter what you do. It said you need to labor. Does anybody know what labor means? All right, you know what labor means. So uh, the theme then of chapter 4 is, will we be able to enter heaven? And the question is, not if you walk away from the faith, not if you abandon Jesus Christ and think Buddha. If you think it makes no difference, you are going to find out it makes all of the difference. You cannot abandon your faith and make it. That's what Hebrews is about. That's why it's called the book of Hebrews. Can you make it just by being Jewish? That's really what they're saying. And the answer is no. You must labor to enter in, and there's a reason, and we're going to continue that in chapter 5. Now, of course, 
Now we are looking here in chapter 5 as we see at the bottom here that we have a high priest that's superior to Aaron. Now the reason that's important is that in the Jewish faith, the priests are all from the line of Aaron, the brother of Moses. And God said, take Aaron and anoint him, and it's going to run down, and he's good, the oil's going to run down, and, and he's going to be a priest. He's going to be the high priest. He's going to wear a certain kind of clothes, and everything he does, it's got to be a certain way. And in fact, if he goes in and he's not worthy, I'm going to kill him, and then you gotta, you're going to have to get him out of there because you can't go into the holy. Only the high priest can go in there. And so every year you've got to make atonement. You've got to take an animal, shed the blood, because that's what I demand. You must do it. If you don't do it, you're not going to make it. You will not enter in. And so Paul is building on that, that there is a high priest now that is greater or superior to Aaron himself. And that, of course, is Jesus Christ. Now, let's begin in chapter five, shall we? And uh, well, I guess I'm not beginning in chapter five. Let's look at 414. Can you read this with me? Here we go. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. That is the profession of what we believe. In other words, I'm going to hold fast what I have professed to believe. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I'm not going to let the government, I'm not going to let the Supreme Court, I'm not going to let anybody. Has anybody noticed how the Supreme Court's been in the news so much the last year? I mean, it always is. I know from the beginning, I I support the Supreme Court. I'm all for it. But the Supreme Court is not my God. I'm telling you right now, I have one God. And they're not nine men or women that sit on some. No, 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 no. My faith did not come from man. Our faith comes from God. And so we're obedient to God. And so we have a high priest, great high priest that is passed. Everyone say passed into the heavens. Everyone say that. Pass into the heavens. Now, the reason I'm stressing that and, and the reason I'm putting this uh, picture, it's not real, but it's, it's a digitalized picture of what would be the temple if you flew over it. There is no such temple because it's gone. It will be rebuilt, but <clears throat> it hasn't been. And here we see, see the little peep. I don't know if you can see, but where's that? Oh, my goodness. I've got... Uh, Okay, I'm going to go over here. I've had brand new pointers given to me, and I'm still without one because I've walked in here without it. All right. I walked in here without half my brain as well. Okay, here we are. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. Now, you see, this, these, these little things are not ants. Those are, uh, uh, is digitalized a word? They've, they've, they made it look like people. It's not real people. It's made to look like people. And they're little teeny. They're walking in these great walls. And you come in and you come through the court here, the Gentiles. You go in and, you, and then you enter into the Holy of Holies. And so that's what this chapter 5 is all about. That is that Jesus is like, see, that, that temple is a symbol of heaven. It's a holy place. Hallelujah. And it's a, it's a marvelous place. And so 
Jesus has passed, just like the high priest did in the temple, he would walk in, he would take the blood of the sacrifice, and the people would be out there praying, oh God, Lord, we, we, we repent of our sins. Lord, one more year we repent of. And the priest would walk in, and he would, he would take the blood, and he would walk up to the holy place, and he would sprinkle the blood on the laver on and everything. Then he would pass through the, the veil and enter into the holiest of holies, the where only he could go. And if God accepted their offerings, he would sprinkle the blood upon the uh, Ark of the Covenant and there God would push back their sins. Now, I've had people say to me, that's the most barbaric thing I ever heard. They're offended by the fact that it required animal. That's the kind of world we're in. You can kill a baby in its mother's womb and they think nothing of it but you can't take a turtle dove and use its blood because God said sprinkle the blood I want to tell you something my friend God demands it it took blood and Jesus shed his blood for the sins of the entire world you go ahead and reject it that's your prerogative because he made you a free will agent you can say whatever do whatever you want but in the end, God will be God. And if you trust him and know that he has passed into the heavens, as it were, sprinkling his own blood in the heavenlies in order to say, as it were, this has all been taken care of by Jesus Christ himself. So access to God in the heavenly realm came only through the high priest. Now, we're going to continue by getting right into chapter 5. Now, um, I'm going to read verse 1, and and then I would like you to read verse 2. We're going to read two or three verses here. We're going to, that's a fairly short chapter. Now, uh, so I'm going to begin with verse 1. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Now, if you would read verse 2. Who have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, but that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. All right, now let's read verse 3 together. And by reason thereof, he ought as for the people, so for himself, to offer for sins. Now, this is a pretty good chunk of the chapter, which is demonstrating that Jesus is greater than Aaron because Aaron was a sinner. Jesus never sinned. And so we have to ask several questions about it. If Jesus were a, was a man and he never sinned, uh, then what does that mean and how do, how do we understand it and how does that impact our relationship to God? Now let's go back to verse 1. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God. That is to say that God has to choose the priest. Now why would that be important in the book of Hebrews? idea was Jesus was not from the tribe of Aaron and so he's going to he is going 
or I mean, from the lineage of Aaron. He's not from the tribe of Levi. And so he, he's going to explain why Jesus was a priest. Now, how many know that Jesus was not from the tribe of Levi? How many know that? Does anybody know what tribe he was from? He was from the tribe of Judah. And it, you were not to be a priest if you were from the tribe of Judah. That's why David was not supposed to eat the showbread. He wasn't supposed to pluck corn on the Sabbath and so on. He was, he was not a priestly, although he was, he actually, God allowed him. We could get into a study of David. My point, though, is that it was not supposed to be that a king was both a king and a priest at the same time. So Paul has to explain. I'm going to explain how Jesus Christ is from the tribe of Judah, and yet he is our high priest. That's what this chapter is about. Every high priest must come from man. So the first thing is two things at the very beginning, that the priest was chosen by God. Everybody say, praise the Lord. So if, listen now, listen. So the point being, if God wants to choose that there will be a new priesthood, then he does so. Because he's God. How many knows he's God? Yeah, he's God. Now, I know Hollywood doesn't believe that. They don't believe he's God. They believe they're God. They tell people what to believe, what they can believe. Where even today in the news is all about how they're going to shut the mouths of preachers all across America. That's what they say they're going to do. They're going to shut the mouths of preachers all across America. And I want to tell you something else. If they do, then they will do it by force because the mouth of the man of God cannot be stopped. He will preach the word of God regardless of what men say. He will preach the word of God regardless of what others do. It's holiness or you are missing the will of God. It is righteousness or you are missing the will of God. It is do what God says or you will not enter in. It's that simple. Praise God. It's just that simple. So every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men and things pertaining to God. God does the choosing and then they go about what they're doing. So Aaron was chosen by God. So if he decides that there's a there is an order now, a special order that will allow a new kind of high priest, then that's his business. That's what he's really saying. I'm, that's my words, of course. Now let's go to verse 2. So... So we're going to begin here uh, with verse 2. Who can have compassion? Everyone say compassion. So that's really quite simple. That he chose, they have to be men. They can't be an angel. They can't be something else. So Jesus had to be a true man. Everyone say a man. Had to be a true man. It wasn't uh, an option. Well, an angel could come or, or some thing or someone else couldn't couldn't do it it had to be a man and in this case now i've often said and it's true not based on hebrews but on other grounds that he had to be a true man or his blood let's say he was well i don't i don't want to be sacrilegious i'm trying to be very careful uh so i won't say that but he if he were not a true man then on what grounds legally, you, are you, is that okay if I talk like that? On what grounds then would his blood atone for me? He had to be a real man. Couldn't be a pretense, couldn't be a ghost, couldn't be an angel. He had to be a real 
man. And he was. And Paul says here that the reason that he had to be a man, every, every high priest, everyone say every high priest. See, look at it. Every high priest that's taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion? The reason that God allowed sinful men who come to God and had their sins taken away and use sinful men, just for example, I'm a preacher of the gospel, but I am not God. I'm not an angel, and I am not a sinless person. I'm a man that is a sinner that is saved by the grace of God. And therefore... Now listen to me. You listen to this preacher. I'm trying to talk to you tonight. The most important thing that that the Christian life demonstrates is that sin causes us to have compassion. Because we now understand well I know what you're going through I know what you're facing now some of us have been serving God most of our lives and we forget what people are going through I don't mean sickness I'm not talking that part of sins sin affects everything about life But I'm talking about how difficult it can be and how bound people can be. Now, I've never been a cigarette smoker, but I have uh, family very dear and close to me that were so bound. I even had to help them. They would say, go hide those. Okay, close your eyes. And, I, and, and I'd hide them, and they'd say, okay, I can't find them, but I'll just use these. And then they'd reach down. They had them in the little bag right there. I said, well, why would you have me hide them? Well, because I didn't want to get a hold of them, but, but I, just in case I couldn't find them, I kept these right here. And that's funny, and it's horrible, but, I, but I've never been... I've never been bound by nicotine. I've never been bound by meth or heroin, any of that. So I, I, I've, never, I've never been there. So I can't say that personally I fully understand that battle. Anybody following me? All right. Now, I'm not saying that I have to have sinned every single sin or I can't have compassion for someone. I'm trying to say that the, the principle of this, of the logic here is that the Lord didn't call us from sin so we would keep on sinning. He called us from, everybody say from. He called us from sin in order that we could have a different life. I, I came that they might have life and that they might have it how? More abundantly it's going to be an abundance of life and we forget people that don't have it we forget it and we don't have compassion on them and we're hard on them now i know that we're all worried sick about being mamby pambies and you know bless god bless god we want to smack them around make sure they know who's Who's right? 
There's no desire in any child of God's heart to compromise righteousness ever. Not if it's a true child of God. If you're compromising righteousness, then you're a backsliding child of God is what you are. And you're on your way into trouble. But, but listen to me. There is no such thing. Some people think that meanness or harshness is the true spirit of the child that's been pulled out of the fire. But not so. The true spirit of someone that preaches holiness is compassion. Therefore, you can say, no, no, you, you've, got to, you've got to get victory over there. You can't dress like that. Why? Because I was where you were. And I know that living like that is not going to please God. Therefore, no, you're not singing in that. You're not wearing that in that. You're not doing that if you're going to serve God. If you're going to be on this platform. Now, someone said, is that, is that compassionless? No. When you tell someone, this is what you need to do to please God and to walk in holiness. You're showing them compassion. That's what you're doing. Therefore, do it with compassion. Praise God. Amen. I get accused almost every single day of being so hard. And you can't even, you mean I can't even wear that. And what if I was just on vacation? Well, do you want to go to heaven when you're on vacation? Or do you want to go to hell when you're on vacation? Well, you don't have any compassion, Brother French. If you had compassion, you would understand why I have to wear that. I do understand why you're wearing that. It's because you're carnal. And you want to do what the world is doing. And you're not obeying the word of God. That's why you're doing it. One, one lady came up and said, Well, I just want to cut it a, just a little bit, just a little bit about that long, about that much. I said, well, I don't have any problem with it. If you go to the altar and God tells you to do it, then I want you to do it. And if he doesn't tell you to do it, then I don't want you to do it. You need to obey the Bible. And then if God tells you to do it, then I want you to ask him. Why can I disobey the word of God, God? And then come and tell me what he says about it. Because if he tells you to disobey him, then then I want you to tell me about it. Because then I'm going to check your pulse. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. All right, so we we are ministers. I'm not trying to compare myself to... To the high priest at all. I'm simply making a comparison. So they had compassion on the ignorant. And uh, I've been thinking about how you could translate that better. Does anybody know a better word for ignorant than ignorant? So I'm sorry. I've thought of it. I've thought of several ways. I looked at I thought there's got to be a word that might help us here. But uh, I looked at every major modern translation. Even though I teach Greek, I know exactly what words could go there. I could not find a single legitimate translation that could come up with a better word than ignorant. When someone is ignorant of what is necessary, they are lost 
Folks, that's why we need to have compassion on folks. They are lost without God. They are wandering. Come on, let's pray for our city. Let's ask God to give us revival. Father, right now, I pray for those that are struggling and living in sin. I ask God that you will give us strength and help us. We give you praise for it. By the way, this is an answer. I, I know I'm, I'm going to hurry here, but this is an answer for people that say, well, there's a bunch of hypocrites in the church. Or, well, the church, they're not perfect. See, here's, here's the first thing people, I'm going to keep on living like that because people aren't perfect. They're never going to be perfect. You're never going to get a person that never makes a mistake or is perfect in your eyes. God didn't say, okay, I'm going to go through the world and I'm going to only use people that are perfect and never made a mistake. No, he's using people that are washed in the blood. Hallelujah. That are cleansed by his blood and that are obedient to him. Okay, now let's hurry on. So who, have, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way or... You see, I put the better, I think that could be said better. Out of the way, to me, doesn't help me as much as the word wayward. They are wayward, they are sinners, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. The high priest is a man that struggles with being human, struggles with even discouragement. Even the prophets struggle sometimes and want to give up. Someone said, well, I didn't sin, but I just got discouraged. Well, then you're not perfect. You have to say, wait, Lord, help me. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you just need the Lord to give you a hand. And he says, yes, I have compassion. And by reason thereof, he ought also, for the, as for the people, so for himself, to offer for sin. So, and so it is. Now let's go to the next uh, uh, set of verses here. And we're going to look at verse number four. Uh, I'm going to read uh, the first verse, and that may be a little... Uh, the next verse is a little longer, but I'm going to have you read it and we'll just try it. And uh, I know it's hard to hear over here, keep up with each other. It doesn't matter. It just helps us to kind of read along. Now I'm going to read verse four and you'll read verse five. And no man taketh this honor unto himself. That is that to be a priest that even though I'm a sinner, I've been, God pulls me away from sin, gives me the blood and the sacrifice. And then I listen to God and I obey his voice. No man taketh this honor unto himself, but, he that is called of God, as was Aaron. In other words, God does the calling. For example, I'm a preacher, but I didn't say, Lord, you make me a preacher or else. No, no, no. I ran from it for a long time, had no desire to be telling anybody anything. But God said, I've called you, my friend. You've got to be obedient to my voice. Does anybody know we need called preachers in this world? We need folks that are called to preach. Now, let's read verse 5, shall we? So also Christ glorified not himself, to be made an high priest. But he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. And I put in there so you see that that's Psalm 2. All right, and I'm going to read verse 6. As he saith also in another place, which is Psalm 110, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, we're going to look at who Melchizedek is in detail in chapter uh, 7 because that's the chapter that deals with it. All we have here is what is said in this very instance. 
Thou art a priest forever. Let's say it together. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. All right? Now, does anybody notice that Melchizedek there, um, that it's spelled differently? This is the first time it's called. I was going to say, have you noticed it's different? But you wouldn't because this is the first time we've looked at the word. All right, but it's spelled differently in the Old Testament. The King James translator spelled it with a Z and a K in the Hebrew. When they took it from the Hebrew, of course, Melchizedek, Melak is the word for king, and Melchizedek was the king. His name was Melchizedek. The Hebrew uses the Z and the K, the the Greek translations. Now, why they did it that way exactly, I I, I could probably explain it, but they spelled it with an S and a C, so it's Melchizedek in the New Testament. But if you go to Psalm 110, it's it's a Z and a K. So the same man just... Instead of an, a Z, it's turned to an S and so on. And in chapter 7, we're going to spend a considerable amount of time talking about who is Melchizedek. There are quite a few people who think that Melchizedek was Jesus. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody know? It? Okay, you're kind of quiet. I want to make sure. All right. I know many, many, many people that believe quite certainly that Melchizedek had to be a theophany of God. It was literally God in the form of a man. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? A theophany, the word theos meaning God, a theophany that Melchizedek was God in the king or as, not in, but as the king of Salem. And so we're going to look at it in, in detail. And uh, how many knows that Jesus was born in Bethlehem? How many knows that? All right. He was, grew up as a man. Now, I'm going to show you a picture. I, Lord, forgive me. All right. I'm going to show you a picture. I, I wasn't going to use it. I decided I'm going to use it. Now, if you know of better pictures of Melchizedek in this world, then bring them to me. I'd love to see them. They've got to be somewhere. Uh, I tried to search this this artist to be sure who it was, and I'm still not positive. It makes it really makes no difference. But the reason that I'm saying this is many many people are very very sure that Melchizedek was a theophany of God that came to the world, and and that's why Abraham came and gave him tithes and so forth. But this chapter doesn't. Tell us whether that's true. Chapter 7 is going to tell us some things about it, but not this chapter. So I'm saying it to prepare you for the fact that it's quite critical. But how many thinks that the most critical question we have to answer is, was Melchizedek a king and a priest at the same time? then that would be the most important aspect of his order of priestliness, that he was a kingly priest, and Abraham paid tithes to him. Now, I want to do one more thing before I go to the next one. Everybody say, praise the Lord. Now, I, I don't have, we're going to go quickly. I, some of you seem so nervous. Like, I mean, folks, it's not that late. We can still, some of you are still breathing. Now, look Look here. So thou art a priest. See right here. Thou art 
a priest forever after the order, everyone say order, of Melchizedek, S and a C, all right? Melchizedek. Now, that's from the word toxin, all right? And here's what it means. Now, it generally means, now, in a dictionary, you know, I'm not trying to be condescending. I'm trying to be clear because Melchizedek is a very important figure and, and, and in some ways confusing, all right? So I'm trying to be clear. There, when you're looking at a word and it has a one or an A or whatever the dictionary you're using has, of course, this is a Greek dictionary, so I'm showing you right out of a Greek, they call them lexicons instead of dictionaries, that the word toxin, it's number one meaning, which means if you were to rank the meaning, for example, um, bust, the word bust, everybody say bust. Okay, I was hoping that would cause you to wake, uh, I mean to, uh, 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 that would help, but I, I don't think that helped. Okay, but anyway, let's stick with it. The word bust. Now, most of us, uh, let's say that we think of the word bust as meaning like, I, I don't know the dictionary, I'm just going to just pretend I'm Webster, okay? And that the word bust means, it, its verbal meaning is to explode or I don't know. I can't, I can't believe I can't give you the meaning of bust. What would you say the meaning of bust is, Brother Ventura? To bust is to break apart. There you go. Why couldn't I think of that? All right, explode. Let's not say explode. Let's say bust. Did you say bust apart? Oh, break apart. I was going to say. All right. Break apart. So uh, to bust is to break apart. But it could also have a, a, a nominal meaning, and that is an, an object that is from the shoulders up of a person. And so the same word, same spelling can mean something else. But it will be listed, and you will go down the, the list, and it will say number one, number two. Now, the point, of course, that I'm making is that the number one meaning for toxin in Greek in a lexicon, the greatest lexicon in the world, it's called Bowers. It's translated from German because it was translated by Frederick Bauer. List number one, a fixed succession. So priests had to come from a fixed order of procession. In other words, you can't be a priest if you're from Judah. You had to be a priest if you were from Aaron. And so the order of a particular means that is the succession by which you come from a particular thing, like a, like a priesthood, for example. Now, the, the, down the way, it's actually number four. I put here is number two. But it also means that the order of a thing can be its nature or the quality of a thing. And in fact, when Paul is speaking of toxin, he doesn't just mean what order did you come from, but the very nature of that priestliness. He's talking about the nature of Christ's priestliness did not come from Aaron. It didn't come from Aaron. Folks, I want to tell you, we, we have a high priest that didn't come from a sinful man. And it didn't come from someone that didn't know what we are about. But it came from an entirely different 
nature of priest. That's who Jesus is. Could you just praise him a little bit? We're going to keep going here. But Lord, we thank you for the order of your priestliness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. All right. Okay. I'm about to try to make that go. All right. Let's go to the next one. All right. Now, here's the picture of Melchizedek. Now, the first thing you're going to notice And uh, I've put here Genesis 14, 18. I'm going to read it. Melchizedek, notice the Z and the K, is king of Salem. We're talking with some preachers recently whether Salem was an actual city. Yes, it was an actual city. And what is that city today? Everybody? Jerusalem. It was an actual city. In fact, maybe when we get to seven, I'll bring a picture of the very area that is this this old city of Salem. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. Here comes here comes Abraham. Now, in this picture, I know pictures are not they, they, they don't work well because especially this one because it it's depicting. Uh, clothing and so on that doesn't fit the period and so forth, or at least in my mind it doesn't. <clears throat> but Abraham, uh, the kings of Sodom and and uh, the kings of outside the area of Jerusalem, they were fighting and they came in and, and of course you know where Lot was and they grabbed Lot and they kidnapped him and took him off in battle and Abraham went after them. And the Bible says that he found them and he fought them And amazingly, he won the battle and he brought, and that's who's kneeling there. That's Lot's, I mean, that's Abraham's nephew. And so he brings him in. And when he does, he comes to Salem, which of course is Jerusalem. And there is the king of Salem, Melchizedek, which means, well, it it means Melchizedek. We won't, we're not going to go any further. It means, that's his name at this point. And so you'll notice that in this picture, do you not, this is not Bible, I'm just pointing it out to you, that that king looks, is purposely made to look like Jesus. If that's not supposed to look like Jesus, then I do not know how any artists have tried to depict Jesus. So it is that they are making some sort of visual uh, message by having. And does anybody notice anything else about the king that's standing there? Any, any, anything else? Uh, no? Okay, uh, then I'll just have to say it. That there is a yellow aura about him. Which wouldn't you say? I mean, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. A, I, I can't even tell for sure what period this picture comes from. I think I know. I tried to figure it out, but uh, but I don't know for sure. And there are eras where they put a glow. For example, there's an era of artistry where every time you have a picture of Mary or Jesus, there's a little circle around her head, which is basically a halo, and and that is basically what that is right there. It is a glow that is around him, which is in effect saying that he's not just uh, an ordinary king. He's something more than that. And so it is that the Bible says he was the priest of the Most High God. Now, this is in, uh, the, in Canaan, way before Moses, way before they went in and took the land of Canaan. And Jer- Salem is, has a king named Melchizedek, and he's not just a king, but he is the priest of the Most High God. And Paul says, brother, 
God went all the way back to Genesis and chose a priestly order by which Jesus can be both king and priest. Is anybody glad that he's everything to you? (laughs) He's everything to me. Hallelujah. Praise God. Okay, let's keep going. I want to get past that. All right, here we go. Verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh, everyone say of his flesh, what other days did he have? And I'm going to let that go because I, I don't need to spend a great deal of time there. In the days of his flesh, we could say that means while he was still alive. I think that would be uh, acceptable. In the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying. Now, this is an artist's rendering. Uh, I don't know if you can see it very well, but uh, it's a fairly modern picture of Gethsemane. Does everyone know what Gethsemane is? The garden where Jesus prayed. And he prayed uh, with uh, the, the uh, uh, other of uh, the gospels say that he, he sweat as it were great uh, uh, drops uh, as though it were blood, drops of blood. With, here it says in Hebrew, strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. Now, do you recall Jesus saying, Lord, take this cup from me? Does anybody recall that? I just wonder, I, we don't have long here, folks. I know you're worried. Take this cup from me. But then what did he say? Nevertheless, now I'm praying, I, I want you to take the cup. Now, the, the, the question there, and I don't, I don't have time to delve into this very, very far. The question there is, was Jesus trying to get out of death? See, that's the question. And I don't have time to deal with that. And the answer is no. Because, now folks, don't, don't doubt me on this. He came for one reason. To be the sacrifice of the entire world. He's sweating drops of blood that in his obedience. Hallelujah, hallelujah. That in his obedience, he would demonstrate the perfection that would be necessary for the entire world to see. That he was more than a mere sinful human. So he was prayers and supplications, which we need to do with that, with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard. Everyone say was heard. How many things that could mean and we're not trying to be doubting. We're just trying to be, we're just trying to, I'm trying to get you to stay with me because we've only got a few more verses. Could this possibly mean, can you see that this could possibly mean that he prayed, he talked to God, he prayed in his flesh, tears, weeping, blood coming from the pores of his skin. The devil himself came against him. He's, he's right at the very moment before he's going to go through the agony. I had a picture that was so, I don't know who the artist is. I said, Lord, I, I, I never will I show that picture. 
I couldn't even look at the picture of Jesus in that agony. And I said, Lord, if I have to show that, I don't want to show anything because I can't bear to think of what it was you went through on my behalf. What he wanted to do, what he's praying here, is that he would be able to demonstrate the perfection of God in his life that all of us could say, I want to be like Jesus. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. And God heard that prayer. Is that not what it said? He cried prayer, supplications, and was heard. Of course, in that he feared, uh, we can look at it. Of course, it means he he. Feared or had reverence of God. He had fear of God, whatever way you want to say it. I'm fine with the King James. And was heard. And when did that answer come? Of course, it came, and it says it there at the time of the resurrection. Though, verse 8, let's read it. Just below the nails, I know it's hard to see. Can you read that with me? Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Now we're about to wrap it up and I don't want you to, I don't want to lose you. I don't, Jesus is worthy of better than that. He's worthy of better than that. People spend hours doing the most mundane things and they'll watch uh, television. Someone, what was it? I heard just this week what the average television watching is and then they can't get through a 45 minute Bible study. But here we come. Though he were a son... Yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Therefore, now look at the bottom. I want to say it so I can go to the next one. Now this is where I substituted these nails with the blood on those nails for a picture that I don't know where they got it. I don't know how they did it. I don't know. But it was a depiction of the agony that Jesus suffered. And I chose to, to delete it. Find me some nails somewhere. I'll use that. Though he, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start doing some interpreting. Although he was the son of God. I'm going to say it that way. Even though he was the son of God. Everyone say praise the Lord. How many knows Jesus was the son of God? He's the Father, He's the Son, and He's the Holy Ghost. He's God in the He's God in heaven. He's man on earth. He died on the cross. He came back in the Spirit. One God, one God. Although He was the Son of God. Someone said He couldn't, He couldn't be perfected, but He was perfected. How was He perfected? In showing us His. Oh, Jesus. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping it up. I'm, I don't know. Oh, uh, I, I'm, I don't know if the Lord means for me to say this or if it's just coming in my mind because I've been, it's just been one, it's been a long, long few days. Uh, Brother Cole had a broken neck and, and uh, I, I, I won't describe it. I, I won't, I just won't. I don't want to be on tape describing it. Uh, and I, I was uh, standing at his side, and and he had his hand around my hands, and he was crying, and he said, "Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor." And I said, "No, no, Bishop. I, 
this is this is what I do. Don't you don't have to thank me. Oh, brother French, you having to come. All this, all the things he started saying, he could barely, barely even stay awake. He was neck in a brace and and all of that. You know what he was doing? He was demonstrating his integrity. That's what he was doing. And the pain got... uh, uh, I want to be careful on this tape because this goes... We're up to how many thousands of people hear this stuff. So he was struggling and he said oh pastor pastor couldn't open his eyes his hand went up like this this left hand hand went up like this and his couldn't open his eyes and he said forgive me pastor forgive me pastor that I'm not strong enough I went over there and I said Don't apologize. You know what he was doing? He was demonstrating his integrity. That even in this, maybe the most difficult moment in his entire life, he's a man of God. He's a man of integrity. Just... They came back in, and the first one, Sister Cole, said, come, come, come. And, and the family was all there, and I said, no, 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 let the kids go. Let the, no, 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 come, come, come. And so we ran in there, just got him in the room. Sister French is right there. And I, somebody else, a fourth, I don't remember who the fourth person was. And, and we walked in, and, of course, he, he was, didn't know anybody was in the room. He'd just come out of surgery. And uh, the... the uh, Nurse, male nurse was standing there, very, very kind person. And they were talking about why this and that and this, this all, all about what he looked like and what was going to happen. And, and I said, hold it, hold it. Let's, let's pray first. Let's pray. And Sister Cole said, yes, let's pray. And the nurse, the, the, the male nurse stepped back like this and put his hands like that. And bowed his head. <laughs> and, and you know what that was? You know what that was? He saw the integrity of that man. Here's a man with, I, I can't even in a public room describe all that's happened to him. And the nurse comes in. He's in such pain he can barely stand it. And he says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, am I bothering? I don't want to bother you. I'm going to tell you, that touched their hearts. That young man knew that when he come back from surgery, somebody was going to get a hold of God and begin to pray. And we turned that ICU unit into... And so what am I saying, Pastor? What are you trying... I'm trying to tell you that... Pastor Cole, our bishop, was what he is because he knew a man. He knew a man that never sinned a time. A perfect high priest that he could pattern his life after. 
Let's let's stand. I, I'm 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 gonna have to stop. Here we go. He learned obedience. Praise God. Yes, he did. So a sinless Jesus didn't use his special privilege as the Son of God to get out of it, but he suffered it, and in the process, he learned obedience. Let's look at the next verse. And was made perfect and became the author. Everyone say author of eternal salvation and to all them that obey him. Called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to utter, hard to get people to grasp, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again. You ought to have learned that. You shouldn't be doing that again. You should have grown up enough, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as need milk and not strong meat. You're back on the bottle. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a baby. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use, and notice the translation, who through training have the skill, or the ESV says, who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So by reason of use, the King James says, they have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I want us to pray tonight that God will perfect us in holiness, in his word of righteousness. Could we just set our Bibles aside and could we lift both our hands and let's say, Lord, I want to be like the men of God that have preached the word in my life. I want to I learn the things that I need to learn. I want to be perfected in the way of righteousness. I want to know the difference in good and evil. I want to know how to see the difference and shun the evil and do what is right. Father, make me what I ought to be. Come on, reach over and take someone by the hand. Someone near you there. If you feel comfortable, pray for somebody right now. Father, I pray that you'll help me. I want to be what I ought to be. I want to know, Lord, what you would have me to do. I want to live for you, Lord, in a world that has lost its way. Don't let us lose our way. Lord, let us find righteousness in your word. Let us preach the word of righteousness no matter what anyone else is saying no matter how they may not be able to tell the difference we know Lord that good is from God and evil is not and so we want to be what you want us to be oh God and we praise you for it and we lift your name and we give you glory 
Hallelujah. Could we love him one more time? Could we just give him a little praise? Father, we thank you for the word of God. Thank you for a high priest that can change us. Lord, we don't want to be like the world. We don't want to love this world. We want to love you, Lord, with all of our hearts. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. So we can learn a little bit. He learned obedience. And in his obedience, he was perfected. Why? Because he was demonstrating what his integrity was. And never one time, even when blood was coming from the pores of his skin and the tears running from his eyes, he said, Lord, nevertheless, not my will. He demonstrated his integrity so that it was perfected in that now you don't just say God is good. You can say now I've seen his goodness. I saw it in the in the hospital room in a man that was saved. I wonder how many years ago. I wish I knew. I don't know. But many, many years ago. And I see it in your life and I see it in others because of Jesus Christ. Can we just lift our hands and thank him?